This is TDPS. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And welcome to part two of our journey with the Zodiac case. I wish you all could see the expression on Christopher's face when he does that voice. Well, I, this is sort of a leering clown face, right? It's like, yeah, it's like Ron Burgundy does <laughs> Christopher and Eric Presents or whatever. Yeah, it's nothing like a little schmaltz to go with one of the worst serial killing stories in American history. Well, one of the most... I have to say, this this choice for these um, these this podcast this the, this movie pairing mm-hmm. um, has been really eye opening. I had one very different opinion about the Zodiac before this than I do now. I it really changed my feelings about it. Watching that true crime special, right, and this movie, which I've actually seen before, mm-hmm. really altered my perception of this case because it is really it's a lot thinner and seems to be about a lot more things mm-hmm. than I had originally thought last week on and on our last episode we talked about an episode of a show called history's greatest mysteries who was the zodiac killer it was a very dense and quick survey of all the various theories and suspects that have been put forward in this case over the years This week, we're going to talk about the film Zodiac, the director's cut from David Fincher, a movie we had both seen, as you pointed out, before we did these podcasts and then rewatched. This movie is known for its incredible accuracy. When it came out, there were articles written about the fact everything from David Fincher moving trees at the Lake Berryessa murder site to be where they were at the time of the murder to conducting... (laughs) His own investigation into the case. David Fincher was born in the San Francisco Bay Area, as I was. Everybody from that area is sort of obsessed with this case because it scared everyone so badly in the 60s and 70s. It was terrifying. Um, But where we got last week, um, the scales falling from your eyes moment with the Zodiac case is that we've got, it begins with two very similar murders north of San Francisco in the Vallejo area. Right. Both uh, straight couples. Both women killed, um, both men survive. A brutal attack, but they survive. Right. And then suddenly we have the seemingly random murder of a cab driver in the city of San Francisco, which is attributed to Zodiac, but which you felt on closer inspection wasn't really the Zodiac. And because at that point, 
the Zodiac was primarily known to people through the threatening and horrible letters and sometimes coded messages he was sending to local newspapers in San Francisco. He took credit for this case, but you don't think the evidence suggests that he really did it? I just don't. And not only that, but I think it adds an element to the investigation that queers the investigation, you should forgive the expression, but right. it, it really throws off it those... The, the composite drawings and all of the elements that this in, that that murder introduced to the the crime mm-hmm. throws off I think the rest of the investigation for years to come if you take that out it really re-racks the investigation I think it would even further support I don't necessarily say that I agree with David Fincher but I do think it would support his investigation in this movie more than than not, you know, if right. you took it out, if you took it off the table, right? It it helps, right, to narrow the the field because you got back to investigating the actual murders. The other thing that occurred to me during the um the uh, the, the the movie the movie now we're talking was about, right. I remembered a movie at, at nineteen sixty five, so it would have been in advance of this of. Agatha Christie's ABC murders hmm. um, in uh, with Tony Randall and okay. back in the day. Right. And this this film talks a lot about movie imagery inspiring mm-hmm. um, the murderer. But the ABC murders is really interesting to me because of the nature of the crime. Mm. In the ABC murders, spoiler alert, okay, so if you haven't read Agatha Christie's ABC murders or seen one of the um, recent developments, don't see the the one that Sarah Phelps did because she's an assassin. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway... Um, the point of the the ABC murders is that the person doing the murders is trying to conceal the murders, mm. the one murder, by doing a bunch of murders. Interesting. And that would have been a thought in right. this particular case. So it may even be, you know, it occurred to me that it might even be possible that the murderer was trying to conceal mm. the murder of one of these people. In order, using the the, the serial right. killer nomenclature, creating this entire big scary thing, because that's what the murderer does in ABC Murders. And let me he ask, creates though, a big media-driven... Because the murderer's reason for, for the actual murder they're covering up is obvious and personal, right? The connection between them and the... So they put this fog of other murders out there. I just want to be clear. Right. Right, okay. And they create a whole mystique around a serial killer who is doing this very specific, very public, very well-known. They're doing alphabetically going through the... Right. You know, they're murdering them according to the alphabet. Right. um, And creates this whole media frenzy around... And frames somebody, as I recall, Mm -hmm. um, to... uh, to cover up for the fact that they're kill- they want to just kill one person. Right. Okay. And I thought that was an interesting possibility because it it com- it it very much compares to what the Zodiac did. Right. Yeah. Because this became more about media than it ever was about killing. The movie reference this is actually the first time we're talking about this. The movie reference that you're referring to uh, just to use refer as much as I possibly can 
is in in the first Zodiac letter, in the first two he sends to the newspapers, he includes a cipher, which is actually quite easy to figure out. And he will later on send far more complicated and sophisticated ciphers that take some cracking. But the first one is pretty easily cracked by a married couple in Salinas who were former high school history teachers. And inside the coded part of the letter, because not all of it was coded, is a reference to the movie The Most Dangerous Game. And he says, I like to hunt humans because they are the most dangerous. An- Man is the most dangerous animal of all. Right. And I'm not incredibly familiar with that movie. It's quite old, right? It came out in the 30s. I like, don't know anything about it. It's The idea is that people wash up on this uh, remote island and there is a mad millionaire there. It's the 30s, so maybe you could just have a couple hundred thousand in the bank. And he hunts them for sport. And so it's a suspense thriller. It doesn't sound like it's a full-up, straight-up horror movie, but it's a suspense thriller about a man who hunts other men. So this becomes associated with Zodiac early, early on because he wants it to be, right? And so if you're talking about your ABC murders theory, that's a great way to direct people onto the wrong movie. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this movie, you watched it for the first time, I don't know, however many years and ago. And it was terrifying Yeah. the first time I saw it. This time, it was, I thought it was a romantic comedy this really? time. It was written like, like... I wanted K.J. Charles, my favorite <laughs> rom- gay romance author, to mm-hmm. have written it because I wanted Jake Gyllenhaal and Robert Downey Jr.'s character to get yes, together. Absolutely. There was a point at which it was headed down the K.J. Charles. Um, if you haven't read K.J., I really recommend it. But yeah. um, it was headed down that path. It was right. very much like, and it was very humorous and it was very sort of silly and it was, it was a lot of bits and gimmicks and like... The Robert Downey character is entirely comic yeah. in this. The most, even the most scary element, the most scary moment in the entire movie that I remembered as being terrifying was actually played for comedy mm. with, with Jake Gyllenhaal. I was like, this is like watching a, a completely different movie. Right. What do you think were the extra five minutes? I think if I'm not mistaken, we watched the director's cut. We and watched it has five extra minutes. Apparently, yeah. uh, the the director's cut, I believe. So I, I want to give it some context along the way, as we've talked about earlier. Um, there are some murders, many of which we think are falsely attributed to the Zodiac killer, and then there are a lot of letters to the press. And at one point, he reaches out to a really famous San Francisco attorney named uh, Melvin Belli, who a lot of you will know because he briefly represented Jack Ruby before he, he died. Or I think Jack Ruby might have fired him. But Melvin Belli was really – I looked this up. He was essentially responsible for consumer, consumer protection laws, we understand it today, product right. warranties. And he was known locally as Melvin Bellicose because he was very much he, – he acted in a Star Trek really episode. Really fun. And so the, whoever the Zodiac is or is or one of the people claiming to be the Zodiac asked Melvin Belli to go on a local morning talk show so that he can call in. And this is all depicted in the movie. And he does – somebody does call in claiming to be the Zodiac. I think they later play his voice for – people who have claimed to received calls from the Zodiac and and a surviving victim, and they say it's not the Zodiac. Anyway, but I think the extra five minutes are Melvin Belli, just played expertly by Brian Cox, sitting at his desk. Really fun. Just talking about whatever the fuck Melvin Belli wants just to talk delightful. about. Just delightful. It was yeah. a great depiction. It was a great element. And again, a very comical element mm-hmm. to this story. I thought it was that part where there was no visual, where yeah. they just played the sound effects of time passing, the four years passing, 
all of the things, making it clear how much had actually happened right. in the four years that there was no word from yeah um, from. So the Zodiac. Anyway, we need to get back to the story. We need story to get back gotten... to the story because I, I think we've talked a lot about the story, but the perspective on the story is unique to this. And I, 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 I mentioned this some. This is the story of Robert Graysmith, who was the political cartoonist at the San Francisco Chronicle when the Zodiac letters started coming in. He's played absolutely adorably by Jake Gyllenhaal. I just, just would have taken Robert Graysmith home and left no skin on the bone if like, he'd been into I it. I wish, where did the first child come from? There was no know. explanation of that, but yeah. it was like, how did he wind up? He's he's a single father raising his, his kid. There's no sign of anybody else there for a while. Right. Um, and so it was like, huh, what's that about? Right, anyway. right, yeah. And then, uh, as you pointed out, his sort of romantic comedy compatriot is a really hard-drinking drug-addled uh, reporter, Paul Avery. I hope that was true of him, because, boy, that was how oh, he was portrayed in the movie. Yeah, and played also expertly by Robert Downey Jr. doing his Robert Downey Jr. thing, which I'm a huge fan of. And the two of them were irresistible. There were moments in that where I thought they were going to kiss. Yeah, yeah. The sitting on each other's desks and talk really close yeah, talking. Yeah, it was really, there was a lot of intimacy between those two characters. And they were the sort of opposites attract kind of thing that we get in romance right so often it was really right. it was very much played like a meet cute romantic comedy where these people in a newsroom who couldn't be less alike fall for each other yeah you know, and I'll say, as you pointed out, it's really about them, and then it becomes about the police detectives, Mark Ruffalo and Anthony Edwards play them, who have to begin essentially working with the Chronicle because the Chronicle is one of the newspapers receiving these letters, which are evidence or become evidence in the case. But um, it, it's very much how, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, Robert Graysmith, starts out getting obsessed with the case in a way that uh, Paul Avery, the reporter, doesn't quite like he's there's a cipher in those first letters. Graysmith becomes fixated on the cipher and, and, and it becomes really an obsession that intensifies over the years as it does for most of the people who come across the case. But they kind of it gets a little bit into cop drama tropes where it sort of takes over his life and ruins his marriage and alienates him from his kids, stuff that we see all the time in it these was, stories. It was ultimately a movie about. The Zodiac as obsession more than it was right. about the Zodiac as serial killer. The, the killings are very incidental. And as is actually the case with the real Zodiac, they happen right at the beginning of the story and then they really don't happen again. They, they depict, which is an interesting comment on your theory Right, that the the you know you believe that the first two murders are the they're the man that we believe to be the Zodiac killer is most likely responsible for those, but the murder of cab driver Paul Stein inside the city is where things start to go a little wonky and spread out in all different directions. So the choice to only depict the first Vallejo area murders, and I have to say. They are terrifying, and what is terrifying about them is that there are no real horror movie effects. They are unvarnished. Yeah, they are shootings what and stabbings. To right? These poor what happened people. to these poor people? And they're really disturbing. And then it moves on. We move on into what you said. And we obsession. never really have murders again. Like right. that doesn't even even the murder of Paul Stein is not depicted. Right. It yeah. is just sort of run past, which I thought was an interesting choice on. Even there's a decision because three teenagers witnessed the killer of Paul Stein running away from his taxi cab. They don't even show the faces of the three teenagers. You see Mark Ruffalo as Detective Toshi interviewing them, and the, it's a close shot on him, and you never see the yeah. teenagers. The entire yeah. thing is very sort of 
it's it's very sort of um suggestive rather than informative. Like right. it's really sort of glossed past because ultimately that's not really the focus of the movie. The focus of the movie is Mark Ruffalo's obsession with this, Mark right. Ruffalo's character's obsession with this to the point of destroying his career. Right. And which I thought was that was an interesting moment in it. The right. the, the um the Armistead Malcolm. I was moment. just gonna say and we the, didn't expect a former guest on our show to come up in this and, story. And the um and then uh the the What's his name? Richard, whatever. The Jake Gyllenhaal's character. Um, Robert, Robert Graysmith. Robert Graysmith's right. obsession with the character. And the other thing that I think is really, I think, worth noting in this in discussing the movie is that everything that's included is Robert Graysmith's point of view and opinion about what's happening. <laughs> I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and everyone here at TDPS would like to congratulate my co-host and best friend, Christopher Rice, also known as steamy romance author C. Travis Rice, on the publication of Sapphire Storm, the third novel in his Sapphire Cove series. Sapphire Storm is the drama-filled tale of a forbidden romance that exposes old secrets and incurs the wrath of the powerful and the famous. It went on sale March 7th, along with the first two entries in the series, Sapphire Sunset and Sapphire Spring, it's available wherever ebooks are sold. Congratulations, C. Travis Rice, and congratulations, Christopher. And as you pointed out, this is Robert Graysmith's perspective on and everything that happened. Ironically, we also talked about last week my thoughts about the Ptolemaic spheres, which I think this movie might bump up against. The Ptolemaic spheres were a way of trying to describe the universe with the Earth at the center yes. of the universe, and it became more and more difficult to explain the facts with the if you kept the earth at the center of the universe and that's why i always use that imagery of the ptolemaic spheres the crystal spheres that the planets were rotating in so that it would explain their behavior mm -hmm. in the heavens if the earth was at the center but if the earth wasn't at the center it was a lot easier to describe everything in this movie is built around the theory that they want to go with. And that theory is that author Lee Allen is the killer. Is that what, would you clearly. go that far? And, yeah. and clearly they the facts are about supporting that theory. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it's wrong, but I am saying that's the way this is constructed. It's the, it's, yes. there are not facts that are included that deviate from that, which is why I think they give such a light touch to the Paul Stein murder Mm -hmm. Because there is nothing to connect him to that crime because Zodiac didn't do that crime. And I think what they and I think while they talk about the obsession, I think they they miss the point to me, which is 
I think this is more about the media coverage and claiming responsibility. Mm-hmm. I think this story is more about that than it is about actual murder. Yes, and there is there is one moment, and it's one of those, and it's brief, and it does not indicate that it was the filmmaker's intention to really make this the focus, where I think that the, the two detectives say to each other, well, at this point, he's just claiming credit for a bunch of murders, and I'm like, yes, exactly, right there, run with this, and they don't. You're right, they go right back to That's Arthur all Lee Allen. ever was doing. Right, yeah. Like, there is nothing, like, as I've said, as I said, I think last week, this points more to somebody inside the Vallejo Police Department with information about the crimes other than the two phone calls where they, he claims to have done the murder. Right. And that you're going to find him out by the 4th, you know, the 4th of July murder and then the second one, the stabbing. Yeah. Uh, Let me make a public service announcement here. Because this is this is something that I always hit on. Because when we sit here talking about these cases over and over again, we start to see patterns. Maybe we're not the only ones, but I like to think we're pretty smart. This was um, the movie really depicts this pretty well, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was David Fincher's intention to get this out there. This was something that was readily apparent in the Golden State Killer case, similar area of the country, um, but. It really popped out in the documentary about Michelle McNamara that we talked about um, years ago now, but which you can find in our archive. A a refusal to cooperate between and share information between jurisdictions make any serial killer's work a dream. Particularly in this time period. Exactly. Nothing is on computer. Nothing. We're going to talk about a case later in the month as part of California Screaming Month, which is what this is. I forgot to say that at the beginning. Um, you want to start over? It's fa- Let's just scratch everything. Ditch the pot. Let's start. No, it's famous for its task force, but that's what they had to do back then before computers. They had to set up. I mean, they still do, but more of it is digital now. And I would just, the refusal of these various police departments to cooperate with each other and the turf war and the fighting, I, I was it was setting my teeth on edge because you know the killers like Ted Bundy and the Golden State Killer, they all used that to their advantage. They would just hop over a county line and murder someone who was maybe a few blocks away, but they knew it would be a different police force that wasn't in effective communication with the neighboring one. So anyway, that's my public service announcement. We can get back to talking about the Zodiac now. But I think that was a part of this story that led to the fragmentation, if you will, in the investigation that started after you, as you pointed out, after the Paul Stein murder, the taxicab right. murder that doesn't really fit the other murders right. in any way. In any yeah. way. And, and, yeah. and because it doesn't really fit, I guess it was Robert Graysmith's, and I don't know, I haven't read the book, mm-hmm. but it was certainly um, whoever put this movie together, whether it was the screenwriter or um, or David Fincher, the director. Right. Um, they don't really include the the, the Paul Stein murder because it doesn't really fit with their trying to pin it on um, Arthur, Arthur Lee, Allen. Lee Allen. The Paul Stein murder is really, I think, in the structure of the film, just the vehicle by which they introduce the two police detective characters, Tashi, and I'm I'm blanking on his other name because I I flipped to my Arthur Lee Allen notes, but I Anthony Edwards plays him, and it's Inspector William Armstrong, and I think unlike a lot of true crime movies that we watch where names are very often changed for legal reasons. I think this is everybody's name. Oh, I yeah. think it's I don't know if they got the lawyers on it or if it's been long enough that people didn't give a shit, but this is the real names of the of the people involved in the case. So, as you because pointed it's out, it's a book. Right. And it's a book written by a journalist even though he was a, apparently a 
an editorial cartoonist initially, right. but um, still, it is very much. It's a book written by a journalist, so there's there isn't a debate about it being right. who it is, or there weren't fictional characters created. This is what, at least, what Robert Graysmith saw is happening. Whether or not it is what happened, it is very much his view right. of this unfolding. So uh, last week, the special that we talked about really breathlessly put together all the possible theories of the case, all the suspects that have been put forward. I mean, up until the present, it's gone on that long. Um, And they didn't really spend a ton of time on author Lee Allen, which, as you pointed out, is really the movie's number one suspect. That is who. It is really all about getting back to him. And they and some of it is about ruling out other people like everything that they put together supports that notion so that when you get back to it, right, it becomes, it seems self-evident. So I have a question for you that puts together some of your theories. You, you, you were really concerned that it doesn't seem like in anything we've discussed, the special or the movie, that there was a deep symbological analysis of the Zodiac symbol or the symbol that the Zodiac made his own, which is called, they refer to as a crossed circle, but you pointed out is the cross of Odin from right. Norse mythology. Okay. The They associate that with author Lee Allen because he has a Zodiac watch that his mother gave him and it's got that symbol on it. Your characterization of a lot of the letters that were received by the papers were possibly, you think they could be motivated by someone who is either trying to misdirect away from a single murder or place blame on someone. And author Lee Allen is brought to the attention of the police by a co-worker, but he's also pretty much smeared by his his own brother, who believes that he is guilty of molesting a child and getting fired from his job at a school because of it. Do you think that could be like the simplicity of the Zodiac Somebody trying to, assignment? like if my kid got molested by his teacher mm-hmm. and I could frame the guy for it, right. I might do that. I could see that happening and no, there's no discussion of that, of right. who he, you know, who he victimized because he was actually a criminal. And the other thing that really fits with him is that there are no letters written during the period that he's in prison. And that's why they really want to peg him because when he gets out of prison, the letters start again. Right. He writes to the detective, according to the movie, mm-hmm. he writes to the detective, because that wasn't a fact that we got from the, the true crime special. Right. He sends him a typewritten letter, so mm-hmm. there is no handwriting comparison. Mm. And then Zodiac writes to... So author Lee Allen writes a letter as himself to the Vallejo yes, detective. saying, I'm sorry, I wasn't your guy, and I yeah. anything I can do to help. Right. Which sort of tweaks his nose, and then... After this long pause, there is new communication from the um, from from Zodiac, which, which is the one. This is the yeah. one that brought in Armistead. Okay, and so what was your reaction as you were Armistead Mopin is a great writer and a friend of the show, and has sat in this chair that I'm sitting in now. And so we approached the subject with great caution but, and great respect. Yeah, we love. I, I love him, but he said. Apparently, the story Armistead Maupin wrote for the same paper mm-hmm. as yeah. um, that the the, the this, that is depicted in this particular film, and he created a character for his column, Tales of the City, based on this investigator. Mm-hmm. And the investigator actually, in a sort of tongue-in-cheek way, wrote a fan letter saying, "I would really like to see more of that really super cool investigator from your." Mm-hmm. From your stories. So Armistead Maupin had letters from him, 
and he did his own handwriting analysis, apparently, mm. and said that the letter that the the new letter that they had received was actually from the investigator and not from the Zodiac, which right. created a huge scandal and got the detective kind of fired. I It is, it is one of those depict like Armistead Mopin becomes almost the villain of the piece in this depiction. It's just destroying Mark Ruffalo's life and he doesn't. So what's happening at this point in the investigation is that it, the, the official police investigation is really slowed down and Gray Smith. Well, there's nothing new to investigate. And Gray Smith is putting his book together and he's having to sort of cajole all of these people to talk to him and he's meeting them in secret and they're saying I can't tell you this but if I was going to tell you this go talk to this guy and look at this file. And that's when this Armistead Mopin accusation happens. So it, it really fucks up what Graysmith is trying to do because then Dave Toshi doesn't want to talk to anybody about anything. Particularly somebody from the same paper yeah. that Armistead worked for right. because they see that see him as the enemy because it really screwed up this man's life. Right. I don't know whether it was true or not. They later say that it was proved that it in the movie that it wasn't, in fact, from the inspector. That's what the movie says. Yes. I don't know that. And it was not covered in the true crime special that we watched at all last week. So I, this is this was the first I had heard of it. And I guess I had forgotten it from my last viewing of the movie. I don't know. I would love to find out what Armistead has to say about it um, at this point. Like, did you do you still think that or did right. you become convinced it wasn't him right. or whatever? Because I think that's as good a theory as anything that I've heard. Like, I'm not even convinced that a murderer wrote these letters wow. at this point in this story, any of them, right. let alone that, um, that 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 one didn't come from this particular guy. The, the use of handwriting as a definitive thing, I, I, I certainly have – graphology is an important science and it is important that we study it. And I think it is, can be an interesting element of criminal cases. But the importance of it in this particular case mm -hmm. I think is outsized because Absolutely. there are no murders and there is no forensic evidence and there is nothing linking any of the suspects to any of the crime scenes ever in mm -hmm. the entire investigation. So the only thing they have to investigate – are the letters and so it takes on an outsized importance and I, like I like Armistead but I don't think he is an, a handwriting expert. Is anyone? That's my question. And I don't know that I don't know how definitive it can be. Right. Like, certainly, you can say yes. This seems to suggest or these are similar, but. Let's talk about Are what they? the movie presents. So, so Philip Baker Hall, I believe is the actor's name, always an amazing actor. I think he died recently, God rest his soul. Um, Loved him. He he. finally, you see, as you're saying, they keep taking, he's in this office in Sacramento. They take him the letter. He goes in his office. He comes out and says, nope. You know, and he does this over and over and over again. And you're right. It's just this one guy is eliminating him. So towards the end of the movie, they have him kind of give his mission statement on his work. And he's, what he says, and I guess this is a founding principle of handwriting analysis is that there are certain moves in each letter that are formed early in your life that are choices individuals make and that a signature, uh, not a signature, handwriting may change some over time, but these basic moves remain the same and they don't vary. And I think he, he says this in, in the context of analyzing whether or not a potential suspect, I think author Lee Allen, could be ambidextrous and switching between hands on the letters to try to further hand, hide his handwriting. And he says he's never encountered someone who's fully ambidextrous because this 
these decisions are so early and they're so formative. And I thought, well, that sounds good, but is that really a science? And then they point out that he was retired for being an irresponsible drunk <laughs> from his job. And then one of his coworkers says, don't rule out people based on handwriting. Right. And then they get, they find this poster that maybe one of the suspects has. Um, has made, and it, you see his handwriting on it, they identify it as the same. The expert, right. Philip Baker Hall, identifies it as the same um, as the handwriting from of, of the, 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 the Zodiac. And then he goes, Jake Gyllenhaal's character goes to speak to the person who would have had the poster and who would have run the movie theater where the person who made the poster and also saw the movie. And it is it was ultimately the scariest scene from the movie the first mm -hmm. time I saw it. But he realizes in the course of being locked in the house with this guy who he thinks is a witness that the that it's the guy's handwriting, yes, and not the suspect's handwriting, right. and so then he becomes convinced that the guy is the murderer, and that there's somebody else in the house with them, yeah. and that he's going to, and he goes running off, and it becomes almost a kind of comic scene because it you're slave you're a slave to the handwriting in that moment. That's what happens. It's similar to it's not covered in the movie, and I think it happened even after the movie came out, but we it came out, excuse me, came out. Um, we talked about it last week, which was the Gary Stewart case where he wanted to prove that his biological father was the Zodiac. And so we brought the handwriting on the marriage certificate, had a TV show in production about his story. And the private investigator hired for the TV show said, this is actually not your father's handwriting. This is the officiant of the wedding's handwriting. So who is he? Are we going to say he's the Zodiac? And, right. and, and it is what happens when your lane of investigation is too narrow. <laughs> I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? <laughs> So we're going to get into the the movie itself. We've sort of because we haven't really talked about surveyed it. And, it. You know, you can watch it if you want to. I actually recommend it. It's a very good film. It's lengthy, but it's it's very well put together. I think David Fincher is a great director. Mm -hmm. The cast is amazing. They do a terrific job. Draw your own conclusions about what you think their investigation reveals, but 
Or we're just, but we're getting ready to spoil the shit out of it. We're getting ready to spoil the shit out of it. If we haven't already. There's an interview I remember with Jake Gyllenhaal around this movie who said, yes, David Fincher is a great director. He is a very, he's very much a visual director. And as an actor working with him, you can feel like you are a color. (laughs) So that's someone who didn't get the handholding he needed Well, it did not show in his performance. It worked beautifully. So he should get that direction more often. Yes, exactly. Not that he's ever really all that bad. So the movie opens on July 4th. I think this is interesting to note. The movie does not actually open with the first murder that we believe to be uh, Zodiac is responsible for. It opens with the second murder that results in a phone call to the Vallejo Police Department. The first murder that he takes credit for. Yeah. I don't think he is responsible for that murder right. either. Anyway. Yeah. So it opens with uh, a young couple on the evening of July 4th driving to what appears to be a kind of make-out point on a country road. Um, uh, she is clearly married. Which was like, oh, well, that's an interesting de- uh-huh. element that I had not heard in this story. I, so is it her husband who wanted to kill her because she was cheating on him and the rest of it is him framing him? And anyway. I will say the genius of the movie is that it leaves all that in. It is like you're seeing it unfold. It doesn't sand off, I think. All, I know it comes down pretty hard on yeah. the suspect, as we said. But it leaves in all those suggestions of other things. Absolutely. So a car pulls a car pulls up behind them, gets a good look at them, scares the shit out of them. Then it keeps driving. Then it really makes a rapid U-turn and comes speeding back towards them, which was, I thought, the scariest scene in the movie. Yeah, that's pretty, yeah. Pulls up behind them again. Driver steps out, shines a flashlight in their faces. I'm forgetting what the di- if there's much dialogue or if he says much to them, but it's he pretty much rapidly shoots them through the window, shoots them both, one after the other. Then he calls to the Vallejo police station. And says, "There's if you go to this location, you'll find bodies. And oh, by the way, I'm responsible for the murder of those kids seven months ago. Which is where the special we talked about last week actually started. Right. Um, so then we're in the San Francisco Chronicle. We meet Robert Graysmith, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. He's sort of the office nerd. Nobody really talks to him or acknowledges him. He's the political cartoonist. He's the political cartoonist, which is like, really, were they that shitty to their political cartoonists? I thought cartoons were popular in Against, Once again, I would say this was from Robert Graysmith's perspective. It was not so, like, grain of salt. Right. Okay, so um, we see him have a child, as you pointed out earlier, a young boy. Uh, He's a single parent. He takes the kid to school, tells him not to swallow his toothpaste after he brushes his teeth, which is funny, and I remember being told that as a kid. Everybody drink. It's about me. Uh, And so (laughs) a letter arrives at the San Francisco Chronicle. Am I I jumping over anything? I think it pretty quickly gets to... That's how they bring in the San Francisco Chronicle, is the letter arriving. And you see it coming in. He's taking his kid to school, and you see the mail being delivered, and you see the the course that the the letter takes as it winds its way into the Chronicle and onto the editorial desk at the moment that they're all in their meeting together. And they open this letter... And the immediate, they call the owner of the newspaper. Yeah. Um, I have his name here on the IMDb page because unlike a lot of what we talk about, everybody seems to be named accurately in this. Uh, and, of course, I can't find it, and it's not that interesting, so I'm going to go back to oh, Templeton Peck. No. Templeton Peck is like the editor-in-chief of the newspaper, and then there's a rich guy in a suit who comes down to make the tough decisions. John Terry. 
He's playing a character named Charles Theria, which is probably the real guy who owns the newspaper. Whose son is now a, a TV star. He oh. was in. He was in. He played the the pot dealing brother in the uh, the redo of Bates Motel. Oh, recently, and he's now starring as a firefighter in a series called I don't know something like Firefighter I tried or something. It. I tried it. Fire Country or something. Yeah, was that's there, yeah, yeah no, that's that's. Yeah. The son of the Max. actual Max Terrio yeah. is actually from that family. Oh, there you go. I don't know if he's his son, but he's probably his grandson at this point. He's so young, but yeah, he's a babe. I don't. I I keep hoping that one day he'll be on a show I want to watch. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, the decision it, before them is, I think the letter at that point ex- it contains explicit threats, like you either run this letter or I'm going to the school bus threat that was so famously associated with the case maybe came later. But it's you either run this letter or there are going to be consequences. So there's that predictable back and forth, which I imagine they had at the time, of are we enabling this if we run this letter or are we endangering people if we don't run the letter? And I believe that's maybe the most crucial decision in this entire story. Would you have not run the letter? If I you'd... don't think you should have. I mean, yeah. I think that's the lesson from all of this because that's what this story is actually about are those letters. It is not about the murders or the victims or anything else. All of this is about the letters. It's not – it's surprisingly not unlike Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Like that really becomes the thing. But they're calling around sources at the other papers because they know, I think in the letters, he says, I sent this to three different newspapers. So they don't want to be scooped. And when they find out the examiner is going to run it, they say, okay, we'll run it on page three or page four or something. Okay, it's not going to be front page, but it's going to be in the front section. Right. Okay. So they run it, and then I'm trying to remember what happens next. I think is there an – are we at the cab driver murder yet, or does that have – is there some more time? Because we've basically – the movie started with the second Vallejo area murder. This is it. The Lake Berryessa murder yeah. happens. That's where That's we go That's what next. happens next. And what happens here is that we see a dramatic rendering of the survivor of this attack story, which is that the killer approaches them in a costume wearing a hood – with the Cross of Odin, we're going to call it now, because that's right. what it is, even though they don't call it that, on the center of the, the I mean, shirt. I mean, if it was a zodiac sign, it would be the sign for either the Earth or the Sun, but the cross wouldn't overlap the circle the way it does. Yeah. That's the Cross of Odin, so. Okay. So um, this is the most terrifying scene in the movie. He forces the uh, young woman, again, it's a, a straight couple, to tie up the man. Then he ties up the man. Um, he, there's a cover story. Clearly, I need your car keys or whatever. They're trying to negotiate with him. It's really well done. Uh, and then he pulls out his knife. And ju- does he stab the man first or the woman first? I'm forgetting. I think he stabs the man first. I think he stabs the man first, which is after hog tying right. them. He then stabs them repeatedly. Yeah. And this is I'm, I said this earlier, and so I want to get to this now. It's a line that appears later in the movie, but it's about this aspect of the story, which is he gets they say, oh, he gets so caught up in killing the woman, he forgets to finish off the man. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think that was it. I think he thought emasculating the man and forcing him to live with it was a fate worse than death. You couldn't protect your woman from me. I thought if I had to go into the psycho's head, I would more likely land there of I managed to execute all this, all these other things about the crime and just forgot to finish off the man. Also, you pointed out that that many stab wounds on one of the male victims and no vital organs hit. It was hit. miraculous. Yeah, that's deliberate. 
Miraculous or deliberate? I don't know. I have no idea. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really, it is really interesting to me that neither of those men died. Yeah. As a result of this attack, they were larger. Maybe they were healthier. I have no idea. But yeah. there could be other factors besides the. But that is, I think, really noteworthy. So really, the only two murders that can truly be accounted to the, mm-hmm. the Zodiac are those two women. And and so does the movie then go immediately to the murder of Paul Stein, the cab driver? Do we have some more? I, I think that's when Mark Ruffalo shows well, up. Well, they get more. They get more letters, right? Yeah, they get more letters, but I don't know if they deal with every single letter in, in detail. The cipher is solved. The cipher that he sent in the first letter is solved. Right, and so that that moves things forward. The police are back and forth with the, 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 the newspaper, so I'm not sure when the actual... Yeah. When the Paul Stein thing gets inserted in the movie. I, I honestly can't remember. I know that... The police are back and forth with them and looking, they're being called in. Like, there's a moment, it's one of my favorite, they come, the police come into the editorial room and they say, they go through the whole thing and they say, okay, so we're also going to have to get elimination prints from everybody in here. Is there anyone who hasn't touched this letter and only one person raises their hands. I remember what happens. I remember the sequence of events. Okay, so the Paul Stein murder happens and we we meet Mark Ruffalo and Anthony Edwards for the first time. They are the cops that are called out to the scene. Right. And then we go back to the San Francisco Chronicle and we're with the mailroom manager lady. Right. And she opens up what's clearly a new letter, but it's got a bloody rag in it purported to be from the Paul Stein murder and she screams and her scream echoes brings the office to a stand the right. newsroom to a standstill then we see the cops at the paper for the first time and it's the scene that you just described how many people touched this letter and then subsequently they are more circumspect right. in their handling of future letters but from this point on it's about the letters so we haven't talked about the bloody rags with the letters that follow the Paul Stein murder like how are they proving they came from the Paul Stein murder was it again is it, oh this by the way this blood they recognized the shirt yeah i have no idea did yeah the thing that was interesting to me about them was were was there like the evidence that his shirt was cut up or taken off was right. he stripped was he like in addition to everything else, on the, this murder on the street, he also took the guy's shirt or tore off part of it or cut off part of it. And I think we were supposed to believe that when the teenagers looked out the window, they saw him wiping down the cab and that what he wiped the cab down with was part of or gave birth to the pieces of what he began to send in the and letters. And maybe that was where they got the, the, the shirt thing from. I don't know. Yeah. That was oddly... Not accounted for, but there's no we're, there's no DNA. We're not in the age of DNA, no, so there was no confirming it was it was it Paul Stein's blood. Fabric yeah. with what you call it, and they never in the in the movie say that this is the fabric from the shirt, or this yeah. matches the tears from the shirt, or this is his blood type, or anything else. They just say this is pieces of Paul Paul Stein's shirt, right? Which they could it could well be that speaks more to the multiple. Mm-hmm. Um, multiple participants, the multiple zodiacs, right? Um, than it does to anything else. But it is an interesting fact. It it does link a, a letter writer to the um the Paul Stein murder. The Paul Stein murder, yeah. but it 
in the most but in the broadest possible how way. hard i mean when we say they printed the letters in the paper it means they printed i believe a copy, a, a photocopy. Yeah. So anybody who wanted to emulate the handwriting could just use the newspaper to do it. The handwriting expert, of course, says that's impossible, but we've already talked but about I the don't handwriting really think, expert. I don't know that I think that's necessarily right. true. I think it would be challenging, but I don't think it would be completely irrefutable. Yeah. So I think we then get into meeting the police detectives from the other jurisdictions that have been handling the murders who we haven't seen until now. Elias Coteas uh, plays one. Uh, Donald Logue, who is in everything as the guy. <laughs> he's just <laughs> he's that guy. Occasionally has long hair. He's good. They're both good. But we get into the turf war period of the movie of Mark Ruffalo and Anthony Edwards saying they've got this murder they think is Zodiac, and so they go to the... And nobody's really working together effectively, and it kind of set my teeth on edge and all that sort of stuff. So, um, and then we kind of end up at Arthur Lee Allen pretty quickly. I think it was the one-hour mark of a two-hour and 45-minute movie, or maybe first it was the Marvin Belli sequence, where, uh, as we talked about earlier, Brian Cox is playing the local celebrity attorney, Marvin Belli. He gets communication from someone claiming to be the Zodiac saying, if you go on this live morning call-in show, I will call in the show. The cops go and pick up Marvin Belli, who is insisting on lying down in the back seat because in the letters, Zodiac has claimed to be a marksman. <laughs> so he's very, he wants to cover all bases. Right, and not doesn't be want a, to get shot by yeah. a sharpshooter. Fuck the cops in the front, apparently. They're, they're sitting ducks. Even but, though the second crime was a stabbing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They pull into KGO TV, which I remember vividly. I think there's KGO, I think it's... No, it's not Channel 2. I can't remember. I think it's ABC or whatever. I remember KGO from my youth. And they pull into the media circus that is waiting for them because, at the station. Because Zodiac has notified everyone yes. that he's going to call or whoever this is because ultimately they decide it wasn't, in fact, Zodiac who even called them. They don't. And they get calls and they're creepy in their horror movie and there's a scream in the background of one and it freaks everybody the fuck out. But they record the voice. They play it for the survivor of one of the attacks, and he says that's not him. And they also identify it as having come from some mental institution, Mm -hmm. and it is very possibly somebody who is a schizophrenic dealing with their own whatever calling in, or at least that might be, but they don't really know because all of this is so media-driven and not driven by any sort of actual facts or investigation of the actual crimes. There's no forensic evidence at all. So let me ask anything you. to link any of the, the the suspects to the the crimes. Was this just how crimes were investigated then? Like, was there just not enough forensic evidence? I don't think so. Like, yeah. there are a lot of other crimes that we've reported on from this same period, even... I, we're looking at next week. It'll be interesting to see because those mm-hmm. are even earlier. Um... Earlier crimes, aren't they? Later, the the tail end of the seventies, but but not too far off. But they overlap the same period, so no people were being, you know, convicted, and there was crimes being investigated. But this isn't about an investigation of a crime. This is about those letters, right? And to me, throws off the whole process. And it's about in the. In the time we have left, the movie gets pretty quickly to author Lee Allen, the number one suspect, I think, in David Fincher's view, but in a lot of people's view, who was skipped over pretty quickly in the special we watched last week. 
And, you know, there are a lot of people in author Lee Allen's life who believe he could be the Zodiac Absolutely, killer. including his own family. Yeah. Like, if there, is a, if there is a good candidate for it, it's probably him. The only problem is he doesn't actually match the description of the Zodiac. Or one of them. Any of them. Any, any of the physical descriptions? Well, the only one he could possibly match is the one where he was wearing the hood, and even then he's not the right height. He's not the right height. He doesn't have curly hair. He doesn't have any hair. He's bald. Um, he's not the right same size as the first one. He's two, not the same size as the second one. And the third one, where we have the... the the, the composite sketch, it doesn't look anything like Here's him. Like, a, everything, nothing about any of the witnesses identifies him as the Zodiac. Doesn't mean he's not, but... Here's my question. If it's all, if it comes down to height uh, going off, and that's the witness who survived the Lake Berryessa murder that's that we see depicted in the movie. We see both of them depicted yes. in the movie. Um, they were never standing up, were they? How hard is it to tell somebody's height when you're on your knees? I couldn't tell you anybody's height anyway. <laughs> no, that's what I did. As a writer, or, you're or always the, expected to be like, he was 5'9". It's like, how the fuck did I know there were 5'9"? Yeah. That's like on yeah. on, on uh, dating apps, it's how you know they're lying. Yeah, totally. Because if they say they're 5'9 or 5'10, they're lying because yeah. they're just not. That right. means they're shorter than you. <laughs> I actually met somebody once who had said he was 5'10 and he was, he was, he was shorter than I was. And yeah. I said, you know, I'm... Five seven, yeah. If and that's pushing it, um, right? And he said, "Well, you must be taller than you think you are, <laughs> because I'm really five ten. And I was like, "Yeah, that's probably it. Yeah, that's it. I gotta go. Yeah. Um. So, getting back to the narrative of the movie, Robert Graysmith gets married because he's really cute, and even though he's sort of weird, you would and, be hard and pressed because, not to marry him because otherwise, you think it's a story about a gay love affair, between, right? And so immediately, all oh. of the characters suddenly have female partners. See, this is this is what and and Paul Avery, the Robert Downey Jr. character, the drug-addled, boozy reporter, he is personally threatened in one of the letters, and that's depicted as kind of his undoing. It's sort of pitches him over the edge. He can't really take the job anymore. He drinks himself out of it. He gets fired. He ends up living in isolation. It looked like Bolinas is where he ends up living, but and drinking himself. Yeah, they said he'd death. gone to work at the Sacramento Bee and then I was like, there are houseboats in Sacramento? Yeah, that really didn't make any sense. I didn't understand that at all. But yeah, it is again, the movie is about obs being obsessed with the Zodiac destroys your life. Right. That's what the, that's the the story of this movie and ultimately it seems like they they prove that while they can't while they can't prove it in court, they convince themselves that it is Arthur Lee Allen, yes, who is the zodiac, but it's not ever anything they can uh, that proved, but that's sort of the conclusion. Well, of, he dies. Of the case. Arthur Lee Allen dies of a heart attack before the movie ends with them. Spoiler alert: getting a definitive uh, photo ID from one of the male survivors of the attack. Who's been missing all these years? Who's been missing all these years? And I was like, why did this take this long? And it's, I guess because they couldn't find him, you know, or whatever. I don't know. They do the interview at an airport, and. I 
I again, I don't have any information if this is a real thing, but yeah. because it's a journalistic account, yeah. I assume this is what really happened. Right. Because everything in this story is pretty accurate. Tell your David Fincher story you were reading. I think it's important, and I kept remembering it was the interview that you read with Aaron Sorkin, and it was the disagreement that Aaron Sorkin and David Fincher had on the set of um, whatever the Facebook movie they made was, The Social Network or whatever it was called. I'll just tell it since you Dude, don't. You tell the story. It, you know, Aaron Sorkin wanted them to be drinking. It was this scene where Mark Zuckerberg comes home and he's upset. He wanted him to pour himself something really strong, a strong drink. And and he and David Fincher said, "What did he drink?" And Aaron Sorkin said, "Well, he should be drinking." And no, David Fincher said, "What did he drink? What did Mark Zuckerberg drink?" Well, he mostly drank beer. Then he's going to be drinking a beer. And Aaron Sorkin's like, but in the scene, he's really upset. He should be drinking whiskey. And David Fincher was fanatical about as much accuracy as you I can put in. You said that he moved trees. He moved trees. That's really when fanatical. my When my friend who first told me about this movie started talking about the lengths that David Fincher went to visually recreate these environments... He began, my friend began vibrating, and I thought he was going to phase shift into Nerdville. Like, he was just so obsessed with how much methodical detail Fincher had put into this movie. Yeah, he is, you know. it, he is a noteworthy director in yeah. many ways, and certainly I part agree. of it is his, his obsessive nature. Even he says that he's very hard to work with. Yes, very hard um, to work with. But that's sort of why. So I assume that it is an accurate aspect of the story that that's the first time that they were able to because they make a point earlier on that the guy once he gets out of the hospital goes missing yes and they can't present him with any more mm -hmm. photo arrays or anything else that he's just out of the picture and this is the first time it's at an airport so maybe it's an international flight maybe he's been living abroad i don't have any idea but mm -hmm. that's the way in which they finally tie it back together that he IDs um, Arthur Lee Allen as being the murderer. And I will say to their credit, and it's coming back to me now, when they first asked after this guy, as you're saying, they say, wait, this is your one of your only witnesses and he's in the wind. And they're like, he looked at so many fucking photographs when he was in that hospital. They don't depict him as like he got out as soon as he could to avoid suspicion, that he cooperated as much as he could. And then he just lost his shit, and he was like, I can't deal with this anymore. And when we meet him again, as you said, he's he looks hell for leather. He's been beat up. And you know? it's um, he was also an anthropologist. Okay. he was. A, they were students in that particular scene. Yeah. No, no, he's the first one. He's, he's the, the first, first one. He's the first one. So he he's the one seven, who's with a married he was woman. He's a 17-year-old kid who was yeah. having an affair with a married woman yeah. who gets shot in the head. So, yeah. yeah, he probably just... Wanted to get out of town. Started over. Um and I will say to the credit, again, of the filmmakers and their commitment to accuracy, the the final title cards don't tie things up neatly. No. They reference the DNA profile that the Vallejo police have pulled from a stamp on the back of one of those Zodiac's letters, which sort of leaves it open. You know, they reference that Arthur Lee Allen died before he was ever charged. Actually, that's from the um, the... The they stamp is from the whatchamacallit. They mention it, And they too. mention it, too, but they yeah. mention it. They say that it was not conclusive. They actually dismiss right. it in the movie. Well, and to the credit of the special, they say it's never going to be able to use— it can't identify anyone, but it yeah. can eliminate people. Right. And I think that's because that's how much further DNA has come in the time since the movie, which right. is not that old a movie. Right. And um, you're right. Ultimately, it is a movie about how this obsession— 
It is way more about the the obsession. It reminded me very much of Michelle McNamara because because it was more a movie about becoming obsessed with the crime than it was about the crime itself. But also, I felt like with Robert Graysmith, there was the final scene with him and Mark Ruffalo's character in the in the um, cafe. It's it's a vindicating moment for Graysmith. It's like okay, finally he's being seen. His work is being seen because what he also does is he manages to draw a connection between Arthur Lee Allen and one of the female victims of the earlier murders. That's pretty compelling, you know. And he lays it all out. Yeah. And the sister he interviews yeah. the sister of one of the earlier and. Arthur Lee Allen actually comes to the painting party at their house, which happens very shortly and before I think the murder. The thing that I liked about it, it's it reminded me of talking to Clark Williams about the Billy Newton case, which we talked about here for years before Clark put all the pieces together. It's like sometimes that's what it takes, that level of just complete obsession. And what is discouraging is that it is very rare that an overworked homicide detective has that kind of time to give to that obsession. And I think it's why we've seen, and you see this on podcasts now about true crime cases, you saw it with Detective Lamberti who came in here on the Billy Newton case. They are more willing to work than ever with private citizens so long as they're not complete crackpots and they're willing to do that incredibly intensive and extensive footwork into research. You know, well, I don't know. They were willing to work with us, and we're obviously complete crackpots. <laughs> Speak for yourself, Miss B. <laughs> I'm real normal over here. I'm normal. I'm, I'm norm- friends with you because yeah. you're a crackpot. You know why they think that? They, you know why they think I'm the normal one? They're not. Or they think you're. They would really. Let me set that joke up properly. If they heard the conversations about our lunch order that we were having during the breaks on this episode, they would know we were all crackpots. Absolutely. They really would because, like, never has Caesar dressing occasioned such impassioned dialogue. I'm telling you. It is really. But it is a big, big issue, and it's very hard to nail down. It is very hard to nail down. And what has happened to Marie's salad dressing? Why can't you buy <laughs> Marie's salad dressing at the store anymore? What happened to Marie? Party I want to know. People. Next week on the on- Party people. No. Since you mentioned next week, California Screaming Month is continuing. But we also want to know what happened to Marie. With the mystery of Marie's salad dressing. Right. No. All right. Um, California Screaming Month. Continues. True crime, uh, summer movie time, summer film festival. What the fuck did you name it? <laughs> we have so many fucking names for things. <laughs> so many names. True crime, movie time. So much time. marketing. So much marketing. True crime, movie time, summer film festival. Right. Okay. It's going to continue with another true crime pairing, uh, but we're going to start with the True Crime TV Club about the real case. The show is called Very Scary People. It is a two-parter about the Hillside Stranglers. We're going south next week. We're coming to our hood. Heading south. We're heading to Los Angeles um, for uh, probably, arguably, next to the Zodiac, one of the most well-known serial killer cases. And... We're going to follow that up with a TV movie from 1989 called The Case of the Hillside Stranglers, starring Richard Crenna and a young Billy Zane. Very young and Billy Zane. Dennis Farina. And Dennis Farina as a criminal. As a criminal. And not a tough detective. Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw-Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.